Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have a very special guest with us. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BS in logo. Oh, I don't know how to say that. Logo. Logopedics. Logopedics. <laughs> Logopedics. University of Cape Town and the University of Pretoria, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Pretoria in South Africa, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 1980s, she has researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with directed mind input. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for being with us today. I am over here fangirling. So oh. excited to have the opportunity <laughs> to chat with you. Oh, thank you. The work that you do is so admirable, and it's really exciting to see where we're at in this, uh, you know, in this current time and yeah. relevance that we are seeing around retraining our brain to start living in alignment with the lifestyles and mindset that we really desire in order to achieve that, that emotional state that, um, is most desired. So thank you. Absolutely. Here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. That's lovely to be with you. It's an important topic to discuss. So it's, I'm always, always game to discuss this with people. So it really helps. I love it. My original journey started with being, you know, becoming obsessed with the body and how the body works, which ultimately led to the mind, you know, in yeah. my opinion, the mind is the true control center for what happens to us physiologically. And whatever is happening in our mind is going to potentially predict our health outcomes. And so, um, I know for myself with my own autoimmune disease and journey, not accepting the diagnosis and um, deciding that I needed to think outside of the box in terms of what the doctors were telling me my outcomes would be was honestly the best gift I ever gave myself. And, and uh, you know, my doctors told me that I was looking at needing dialysis or transplant within wow. five years from wow. they diagnosed me with having an autoimmune kidney disease. And at that time, I wasn't a full-time student and could not get health insurance for having a pre-existing condition. So I was very frightened. And wow. the idea of needing a transplant or being on dialysis within five years just did not sound... <laughs> like an option. at all a good option no yeah, did not sound like an option so that was the moment that I chose to not accept that prognosis and diagnosis and that's where you know my journey for wellness began um, and in the end what I've learned is that truly the energy and effort I like to call it adaptive energy that we have available to us we really need to be putting into retraining our brain in order to have desirable health outcomes sooner than later 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my whole life's work, it's been 38 years now. I've been working on this whole concept of what is the mind? What is the brain? What is the connection? What sort of control do we have? And, you know, what are thoughts and what are memories? And so that's why I, you know, write what I do. And I've practiced clinically for 25 years. So I started out very much in a deep therapeutic sense, helping people with very extreme conditions, you know, traumatic brain injuries and dementias and severe trauma from war and sexual trauma and learning disabilities and autism. So quite, you know, really heavy going things. And I looked at the at the time in the 80s, they didn't believe the brain could change. So, you know, we were trained as clinicians and scientists to really just kind of teach patients to compensate. But none of it made sense. And I remember challenging my professors and saying, okay, hang on, if are we doing this mind stuff, the brain's obviously got to change. And they said, well, that's a ridiculous question. And I said, okay, well, let me see. And I started researching. And that's where I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in the 80s when it was still not accepted that the brain could change. At that stage, they still accepted that the mind and brain were separate, although it was starting to merge. Then we had the great advances of neuroscience where neuroplasticity was accepted the ability that the brain can change but then the mind and the brain became merged into one concept and that was a huge problem and that's what I've been watching over the last 40 38 years and very concerned about that and doing a lot of research to counter that and to and to I talk extreme a, a lot about the mind brain difference that they're not the same thing and then the mind brain body interaction and then what thoughts on where do they come from and and I think once people understand that you know you said there that you know you started off with the body and it's we very much in this current era and this modern time and this even the sort of wellness movement now it's very very physically focused and uh, everything's about you know you go you're going to drink the green juice do the exercise and maybe do some you know well not maybe but then meditation for stress so it's like sort of in three layers but it's always body first and or diet first then the body work and then the mind is kind of tagged on and it's kind of lumped under stress and meditation as one sort of and that's so it's so incorrect because mind is so much bigger so to answer your question i think that the best place would be to start with and just helping people understand what the mind is and that's not the brain because most people in the current narrative of today get them impression that the mind and the brain are the same thing and they use the words interchangeably and that's one of the big drawbacks if you think they're the same thing you're not going to realize that you have the control that you do meanwhile our mind is a superpower that needs to be accessed and we're understanding more and more and more as we advance with all these sciences and advance with understanding thoughts etc and the field that i'm in we are seeing more and more about the importance of mind and thoughts and and it's kind of almost these two worlds in science that are kind of almost at war with each other and one is very physically dominated the biomedical model it's all brain 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 and your brain made you do it and the neurobiological correlates of emotions and which means that they're trying to find the spot in the brain that makes you do what you do but that's impossible because your brain can't do anything it's your mind that's doing everything your brain's just responding and it's the the, the magical interaction between the two that creates who we you know that creates the, the expression of us as humans so i think a great place to start would be maybe if i define the difference and then just talk about what thoughts are and what memories are and that kind of puts it all to together and I think we'll generate another whole discussion between us so you good to start there yes absolutely that was exactly where I was hoping this was going to go so please explain to us excellent the difference is Okay, so for the, those of you that are viewing, you'll see me holding up a brain. For those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a model, sort of your brain. I'm holding up a model of the human brain in a skull. And I do this 
to, to really make the impression that you are not your brain. Your brain is a phys- is physical substance. It's part of your body. So now I'm holding up a little model of the brain and the body. And you, if you look at yourself, if you can't, you know, if you're listening, I just look at yourself. It's very obvious that you have a physical body. And that's very, it's very easy to understand that. It's very easy to understand that our brain is inside of our skull. But that's not your mind. And what, what your mind is, is something separate. It's something that actually energizes the physical. So if the difference between the easiest way to understand mind is to think of the difference between a dead person and us now talking and those of you that are listening and watching, what would the difference be between us live communicating and connecting and listening and someone who's dead it's the mind the mind is literally your aliveness your mind is the ability that you have to listen and to respond to what you're hearing and to and to what you're seeing and to all the experiences that you have 24 7 your entire life so as soon as you die that physical the physical disintegrates and the mind is no longer there energizing the body. So we see like, for example, on the most basic level that someone who's alive, they'll have electrical flow through the blood. You can, you can do an EKG on the heart and you can see activity in the heart. You can do QEEGs on the brain and scans for fMRIs in the brain and you can see action. You can see activity, blood moving and oxygen changes and energy moving and that kind of thing. But you don't see that with a dead person. So there's something that is, is major that's different between them. And that is our aliveness, which is our mind. So the ability that we have as humans to be alive, to process through how we think, feel and choose is our mind. So on the most basic psychological definition or the most basic psychological definition of mind would be how you think and feel and choose. And people always get that this muddled up. And it's so it's such a simple it's so simple that people miss it. So what I'm going to use my three fingers to explain it. Mind is these three fingers. So your mind is how you think. When you think you feel and when you think and feel you choose. You cannot do these three apart. They always work together. So mind is this action. It's this mind in action is when you think you will feel and when you think and feel you will choose so you're doing this as a human at 400 billion actions per second 24 7 that's how you are experiencing life that's how you're able to be a human and that 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 experience is translating what we are experiencing in the world everything we hear see touch taste smell all the different senses everything we watch every single connection everything we experience is being translated by this think feel choose power of the mind into the physical brain and body as physical changes in the brain and the body and it's that magical connection between or the mysterious connection between the mind and the brain that then creates this ability for us to then express ourselves so us talking now is the result of 400 billion actions per second of mind in life, experiencing life. So it's quite phenomenal. And what we're doing at the moment, and everyone who's listening and watching, is the words that I'm saying are being converted into physical structural changes in your brain that look like little trees. So I'm holding up a little green tree, and this tree is literally a thought. Thoughts look like trees, and thoughts are what we build. So when you think, feel, and choose, you convert your experiences into thoughts inside the brain, and they look like trees inside of the brain. And that's neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is the ability of the mind to build life into the physical brain and not only do we build life into the physical brain in the form of these trees which are made of proteins and chemicals and energy flows and quantum vibrations and all kinds of amazing stuff they have actual weights they have they have substance not only do we have that but 
but we also have um, build it into our brain, but we also build it into every cell of our body. So we build experiences. So this experience now, this discussion about mind, brain, mental health, the importance of thoughts, whatever, whatever you've named this in your mind, generally the name of the podcast may be what the people would call it. That is going to be built into the brain as a thought. And it's going to be built into the body as in every cell of the body and in, in changes in the DNA, as well as in the field of the mind. So what's that? The field of the mind is if you look at your at the, at the human body, we have like a little cloud around it. And that cloud is a gravitational field with very specific properties like an electromagnetic. It's, it's very complex science, but it's basically a field of energy around the brain and the body. And that's there when you're alive, but when you're dead, that goes. And that not only is it around the body, but it's also through the brain and the body. And it's constantly moving. It's this dynamic field that's constantly moving. So right now, as we're talking, this field is being is, is interacting with, you and I are interacting with each other. So this experience is being brought into this field by us thinking, feeling, and choosing, and then pushed through the brain, and the brain is then responding. So the brain is a responder by building what we're saying into these thought trees. And then I can go into the specifics of that in a moment. Did you want to ask me anything about? So I'm curious, this field that you're referring to, is this also what we call the bioenergetic field, which is multidimensional? Yes, that's, it's got many names. That's one of the names. And there's many, and it's a very, it's a very ancient science, but it's also very, it's ancient science meeting with modern science now. So there's been 150 years of research using modern science in this field, but it's quite different to traditional physical physics where you'd be looking at sort of the biomedical model. So, um, but it's hugely accurate and it's hugely developed, but it's not spoken about enough in the, in the sort of scientific world that the media talks about. Right. And so personally, my opinion is that part of the reason that isn't being spoken about is because what we have defined our, our physical body is on an absolute. And what we've discovered is that there's this whole energetic field that revolves around us that was never taken into the equation. And so as a result of that, a lot of what we see happening in our Western conventional medical practices and pharmacological approaches is it's because it's based on that absolute and all of those mathematical formulations that were created are no longer valid. And all of that would have to be redone in a sense in order to take this quantum field into consideration to reformulate where we go moving forward with science. What do you think? It doesn't have to be t- completely not used because everything, it's classical physics that you're talking about. And what we're talking about are two different levels of physics. So the one is the subatomic level and the quantum level. And that has been around for 150 years. So Einstein is a big, was a big proponent of 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 the quantum field. He didn't like it very much because it wasn't, but he understood it and he explained it and his electromagnetic work on photons and electromagnetics, really an electrostatic effect that he won the Nobel Prize for, really, really touches on this this field that we have around us. There's a lot of the calculations that have been used and have been adapted and combined. So you can't actually have classical physics, which deals with the physical and the quantum, which deals with the subatomic level and the, and the energy waves and gravitational fields and that kind of thing you can't have them separate because they're basically one and the same thing so it's 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 just layers and you know your deepest layers are the the quantum field and then you're more of then that translates as it gets bigger and bigger into the physical that we can actually see the mistake in science um that has happened in and this but this bit started happening about 
you know, around around about 120 years ago, there, there was a lot of division where there it was it was a scientific method which is excellent, but there there was so much focus on what can we touch and see and feel. So quantum physics was rejected for many years. Yet quantum physics is the most accurate and fundamental of sciences, and it, it accommodates the human spiritual nature. It accommodates thought, which physics physics doesn't, and that's why classic not physics classical physics. That's why classical physics will often talk about um, the mind as being and and the things we can't see as being promissory science. So it's something down the line we'll be able to, to talk about. But we can talk about it already. There's 150 years of research showing that, you know, there's even research showing that when people die, how their weight changes fractionally because the mind is actually physical. So this is not anything weird, but it's been presented, unfortunately, by the media as sort of woo-woo, weird, new agey, and it's which is such a disservice and it shows it shows a lack of um of knowledge and a lack of of real deep thinking because it's who we are. It's our spiritual nature. Right. Well and I feel like part of that also goes into because with our Western conventional medical approaches approaches, we treat the human body almost like a piece of machine where we compartmentalize it and when we try to treat and diagnose we only think in absolutes of specific body organs and we're not looking at the bigger picture of how they're all intercorrelated and how the mind is the driving component of what's happening physically in the Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing. So mind is your number one. If you don't manage mind, you're basically not managing everything because your mind is actually driving your body. It's your mind that's giving life force to the genetics that are happening in your body at the moment to keep you alive. So we have short, medium, and long-term genes, and those genes have to keep switching on in order for you to make a million plus cells every second, which is what's basically keeping you alive. And that's driven by this epigenetic force of mind. So, you know, we, so if we can't disregard it and people we say, oh, well, consciousness, it's the hard question of science. That's been the standard phrase. So consciousness is the hard question of science. And I always counter that with, it's the easiest question of science. It's the most important question of science. And if people say, well, you can't study it, you can, what are we doing right now? We are just, our conversation is evidence of mind. So you, you, know, you want evidence-based science, the fact that you're a human and you can think differently to me, we can have a conversation where we can agree on concepts, where we can have this back and forth. This shows that people are listening to us, that are processing this in a unique way, building it into their brain as their own unique thoughts. And I'll talk about the structure in a minute because it's quite fascinating. That shows that shows mind is obvious. You want to study mind, just look at human invention. Just look at what's around you. Just look at technology. I mean, this is an invention of mind. The fact that you and I can talk via Zoom and that thousands, hundreds of thousands can listen to us and see us is the result of mind. You know, so when we think of mind as the first cause and everything else follows, then that makes sense because I know your approach and I, and I really love that because I write about food and things as well, is that you can you can basically go and do your workout, but if you're not doing a workout with your mind right, you can lose up to 80% of the benefit that your DNA would actually gain from that workout. Same token with food. If you are eating a great organic, sustainable, farm-to-table, clean food and you're eating it whatever whatever version you want because there's no one way by individualities huge. So there's no one diet that is universal, but it's just clean food that's sort of chemical free and GMO free. If you're eating that, but you're, you're very worried or you're very worked up or you're very complaining or something, you can lose up to 80% of that nutrition. And people don't realize that. So they're doing the workouts, they're doing the eating the nutrition, and they're then doing an isolated meditation for stress 
compartmentalized. Meanwhile, you can't switch your mind off. Your mind's involved in all of those. And what about the in-between? You know, what about the, yeah. So we've got to look at mind as a very all-effacing thing that controls everything. Right. One of the, one of my favorite topics to educate individuals on is how our brain, or I'm sorry, our mind is really the predict the predictor of whether or not we're going to be in a constant state of survival or we're going to be in a state of thriving. And what many people don't understand is that when it comes to the mind, our, our mind can't differentiate between the physical, the mental, the emotional uh, stressors. And therefore it just has one specific response. That's the fight or flight. And as a result of being in that fight or flight, we alter the pH of the blood. It becomes more acidic. And as a result of that, we have to allocate all of our resources just to neutralize the pH of the blood so that we can stay alive. The heart, brain, and lungs are dependent on it being in a neutral state. So most of us, you know, we're, we're eating well, we're exercising, we're trying to do the, the meditation, all the while our mind is in a ruminating thought process about all of the things that we haven't accomplished, or we're not doing as effectively as we like. So we're negating all of the positive qualities that we're trying to, you know, uh, enforce in our life. But the reality is in the moments, we're literally just staying in a state of survival, which is going to have long-term negative health outcomes. Yeah. So, so in, if to just to explain that, to agree with you, but I, there's one part that I need to, to mm-hmm. clarify, and that is you talking about the messy mind. We have two, we have two levels of mind. We have three. We actually have mind is a very complex process. But first of all, we have the messy mind. And that's why I, talk, that's why I call my book Cleaning Up the Mental Mess because it's just a super easy way of understanding it. The messy mind is what we pretty much live in when we're awake. And it's it's the one that that we experiment life with. So you, in, the, in, the, in the conversation, it's the first reactions. It's the first responses. It's, it's the experimental part of us. And it's totally normal to have that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the part that sometimes gets it right, but a lot of the time gets it wrong but there's also the wise mind now the mind you were talking about that has that that reaction is they're going into flight and fright that is the messy mind that is uncontrolled that has then responded to life and wired in a response into the brain because the mind does the work Okay, so then you build in, instead of a healthy thought, you're going to build in a toxic thought into the brain. And a toxic thought will look, I've just used this analogy with all my work, I have the healthy healthy thought and then the wiry thought because thoughts look like trees. So this, for something to become a habit, it takes 63 days, not 21. That's another interesting factor. So if you have respond, reacted, not responded, responded implies a lot of conscious control, but reaction is, is an automatic kind of a, a very quick response where you haven't really thought the things through. We're always thinking, but if you don't really think it through deeply enough, you can build these responses into the brain that become toxic habits. And when when you when these things, whatever you grow, think about the most will grow, they're getting a lot of energy. And those are the ones that you're in a situation, they get triggered and throw you in the flight and frights zone. So that isn't, that is actually not mind. Mind built that, but mind has created that in the brain. And it's the messy mind that was uncontrolled. And the result is that you have this pattern. And as you are in the messiness of life, the messiness of life, if you're not controlling it, the trigger happens and messy, messy mind reacts 
pulls this up and you go into the flight and fright, you then change the pH levels, you then increase cortisol, you increase homocysteine, your heart and brain are now at risk and so on and so on. In the book, in the first half, I show, um, I just put a summary of my clinical trial and there is some test results. We, we looked at people's QEG, but we also looked at biomarkers. We looked in the brain, we looked at biomarkers and we looked at things like cortisol and homocysteine and ACTH and things that really show us what's going on, even prolactin and we at the DNA, we did a whole lot of studies on telomeres so to show the response inside the brain and the body as you are, as your mind is working. And there's an immediate reaction in the brain and the body. So, for example, as you as you trigger a, a automatic response that, um, as you trigger a toxic thought that has become a habit, um, that and and you don't re, you don't actually analyze what's being triggered, and you just flow with it. You just react. You just like a trigger. Activated and you react. When you go into that kind of zone, that then puts will affect the pH, will affect the glucose, will affect the cortisol, will affect the homocysteine, and, and it's different in every person. But there's some general things that will happen, and then we'll have increased inflammation, and you'll have all those. So that is what we, but what we, what we do have is what's operating right now with us while we're talking. We have this ability to analyze what we're doing. We have this wiseness that we can discuss. We're having a very in-depth discussion about what mind is and how we can control it and if people realize it. So what is it that people need to realize? It's the wise mind. We need to realize that, okay, there's this messy mind with these habits that I've built that are being triggered and putting me into this flight and fright versus the wise mind, which is in every single human, every single human at their core is, is, is brilliant, is wise. We even call it in neuroscience being wired for love. And in neuropsychology, we call it the optimism bias. And that basically shows that as humans, we are driven for survival in terms of not just basics. I'm not talking about the basic survival of, of of, of um, I'm talking about an intellectual survival as well as a physical, because the two are related. So if my intellectual survival is threatened, if my mind is threatened, if I'm in a toxic state, my whole physiology will automatically be threatened because the mind is impacting everything because the mind builds the experience into the brain and the body. So physiology is always affected by mind and it's automatic and over time the more you do it, it's cumulative, which then increases the vulnerability of the brain and the body to disease. But the wise, so what we need to do is train ourselves to access the wise mind, which is basically training a skill. And that's pretty much what I teach in my work. And, and this book is my most recent book where I have developed a concept over 38 years called the neurocycle, which is not a technique. It's not, it's not like CBT or ACT or any of those. It's not a technique. Those basically would be in step number five of this. It's basically that it's the mind process of how you as a human train yourself to access the messy mind to work with the wise mind in order to direct neuroplasticity or to direct the changes in your brain. So it's getting into the state where we can become very super wise and okay, I shouldn't react like that. I shouldn't be doing this. I, um, that I did this. I did that. So it's this ability to stand back and observe our own thinking and, and find the right way of working through that. So would you refer to, so is another way to refer to the messy mind and the wise mind as the subconscious mind and the conscious mind? Or no. No, that's separate as well. And I have a table in the book that explains that. So the the wise mind and messy mind, we operate in all the time. And they think of that, think of the wise mind and the messy mind like 
a pilot and a co-pilot in a helicopter. So think or a little plane, whatever you, whatever visual you want. And basically your messy mind's the, the pilot because the messy mind's like in the action. The wise mind is the co-pilot and can actually see, hey, maybe that's not the best plan of action that you can have. So you're always operating in those two. And I talk about the wise, the pilots in this book, that concept of the pilots in this book. The, 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 then the, the, the visions of mind is where subconscious comes in. So the conscious mind is easy to understand. That's awake when you're awake. So that's as soon as you wake up and until you go to sleep, your conscious mind operates. It's kind of slow. It only operates at about 2,000 actions per second, which sounds a lot, but it's nothing in comparison to the non-conscious. This is the most misunderstood part of, of mind science is the non-conscious mind. People refer to the non-conscious, unconscious, and subconscious as the same thing, and they're three completely different things. The non-conscious is N-O-N, and the non-conscious mind is your most intelligent part of who you are. It is where it operates 24-7, it operates at 10 to the 27, which is, and faster, this is the estimate. So that's faster than 400 billion actions per second. It's, it's, we use 400 billion actions per second just to give people some sort of a reference number, but it's faster. It never stops. And it's where every single experience that you've ever had has, is stored in tree-like form. But obviously in the mind part, the gravitational field, it's in like waves, wavy tree things. And in the brain, it's as trees. So it's every single experience is converted by the mind into a thought. So the thought is the product of mind. And we have healthy thoughts and we have toxic thoughts based on what we're experiencing. So lots of trauma, we're going to have lots of traumatic thoughts. And that would then impact on things like very often, I mean, you talk, deal a lot with eating disorders, so do I. Very often there's a traumatic base to that. It's not the way it's been. We know that the treatment for eating disorders is pretty much 99% ineffective. The current gold standard biomedical model, which is just treat with, you know, treat as though it's an illness. It's not an illness. It's a trauma-based response. And until you find the trauma-based response, you're not going to help the person and you have to help the person to find that. So that's a, so we, our non-conscious mind is where everything is stored. It's where we have what we call dynamic self-regulation, where you have this ongoing, your intelligence is constantly ongoing and working. And it's absolutely phenomenally brilliant and, 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 Forest. Think of the non-conscious mind as a huge big forest. This is the analogy I always use. And you've got this massive forest that just, as far as the eye can see, that just never ends. That's your mind. That's how many thoughts. If you think of it, you've got trillions of thoughts. You've been building thoughts since you were at a certain point in the womb. So to whatever age you're at today, there are trillions and trillions of thoughts. In any one day, we are going to be building around about eight to 10,000 thoughts. And it's probably more, it could be less. But each thought you build is informed by existing thoughts. So in any one day, you could have anything between 18,000 to 50,000 thoughts going through your head. Some are being built and some are basically informing the building process. So our minds are very, very busy. Our conscious minds are very busy and our conscious minds are always working with the non-conscious. So the conscious minds are only awake when we awake. The non-conscious is awake 24-7. It's the driving force behind us. So these things that we spoke about that throw you into flight and fright, that we in, in therapy and in using the concept like the neurocycle that I talk about, you basically are finding, being a thought detective, where you are finding, I talk a lot about that in the book, about being a thought detective, where you track down and Look at your warning signals to track down what your root cause is. So if it's an eating disorder, if it's some kind of addiction, like obsession with exercise, I'm just thinking in the field that you work in with a lot of people that are battling with that sort of stuff, um, you've got to always find a root. So you've got to become a thought detective to find the root. So that's the system I've developed. The neurocycle helps you to do that. It doesn't replace therapy. 
and things like CBT, which because I know you do CBT, fit into the fifth step of this of this cycle. Because it's basically how do you get your your messy mind and wise mind talking and act, and when that happens, you access the unconscious. Now, if you think of coming back to the unconscious, think of it as a massive forest, and then think of a strip of trees down the middle of the forest, a massive, beautiful strip of green, perfect trees. Everything on the outside are beautiful too, but they are a bit more messy. They're not quite as perfect. And in, a, in amongst the green ones, there's a lot of toxic ones, and maybe some more in certain areas, and maybe just little clumps and large clumps. It's just different for everyone. It's all our experiences. But the middle is, there's no toxicity there's no toxic trees it's just this perfect perfect you look at it and think oh my wow that's a wise mind and what we want to do is we want to access that wisdom which is what we do now when you have a discussion like this you are using your wise mind and to analyze life when you're analyzing life when you're analyzing your actions when you're helping someone else when you that's all when you get that insight hey i mustn't do this that's wise mind so that sorry I'm sorry, is this also, could this also be referred to as that intuition that we have? Intuition would be how we access. So when you have intuition, you're accessing. So that's a process. Intuition's a process. So when you when you're intuiting, you are accessing. So that's when the wise mind and the, the messy mind talk, you're going to increase intuition. And then we'll see that reflected in more coherence in the two sides of the brain and increase in gamma activity, which um it, which flows from the back to the front of the brain. You'll you have an increase in that, which then and you'll also have an increase in um high beta, but in bursts. So there's a whole pattern that occurs and it's different for everyone so it's not like one there's a pattern but it'll look different in every person because of the uniqueness of, of of people so everything so when you um start using your wise mind intuition is a natural edge it's it's what you do you'll intuit you'll start digging deep and looking for things so you you're quite right in that aspect so what's the subconscious the subconscious is the connection between the non-conscious and the conscious so the conscious is awake when you're awake the non-conscious is awake 24 7 and it's massive and infinite it's this huge huge forest and then the subconscious is like a little bridge between the two and the subconscious is then like for now as an example of this as you're listening to me and as the listeners and viewers are listening as i'm saying stuff i'm stimulating thoughts to move into your mind um like you're writing down things you're thinking of your next question that is stuff moving from your non-conscious through your subconscious into your conscious so you experiencing what i'm saying and that then you're thinking deeply and that thinking deeply you're digging in your non-conscious and it's and, and the non-conscious is sending um, re related concepts thoughts that you've built to help you process and digest and understand and link and whatever integrate this information that you're hearing so the subconscious is the bridge it's that tip of your tongue it's that as it pops through kind of thing so it's kind of slow because it's a bridge it's a filter so it lets through, through that's where you get that whole thing in psychology that talks about we think of five to seven thoughts at a time it's the it's because when you your consciousness slows down non-conscious is simultaneous it's quantum but the subconscious mind filters that quantum flow into a simple flow and that simple flow enables us to then delegate attention to a few things at once so it's around about five to seven and i always use this movement because it's kind of that speed that things can come up and then they go down and we kind of cycles and it may be the same five to seven thoughts that come up or different ones but it's different all the time it's there's never there's no one pattern but that's the kind of process now i've got a very nice table in the book that explains that with um all these different these different levels of mind with images and things to help people understand because what's really interesting is if you if you then go to the product of that thinking feeling choosing product of mind is a thought and a thought is a physical thing it has different 
different types of um, uh, representations. The one representation in the brain is a tree. And these trees are made of proteins. Let's talk about the, the nice one first. Um, and these little branches are all made of proteins and chemicals and energy flow and vibrations in the in the protein. So these branches are made of proteins and each little protein is vibrating. So as I'm speaking at the moment and we're having our conversation, as a tree has roots, the source of this conversation is coming from you and I. So the source, what we're saying is here in people's minds. Okay. And even in your mind, what I'm saying to you is going to be over here. So that, that's always the source. And then your interpretation is here. So your thoughts, feelings, and choices around this. So every single person's these will look different for everyone. Even this, even how you hear it will look different, but it's the same source. So you can have two kids from the same family with an abusive parent. And so it's the same abuse, but it will be different for each child. But And then each child will interpret differently. And that's where uniqueness comes in. That's why identical twins don't manifest their, their life in the same way. You know, that's always been a mystery to science. So this, a thought then has these structures. It has this root, which is the source. And then it has each additional linked experience that's similar is added. You keep adding to that source. And then it is translated into how you how you think, feel, and choose. And then this collectively produces what you say and what you do. In other words, how you show up in the relationship, at work, in the conversation, in the... So how you're showing up is evidence of this. So if you're showing up, so if you are being very aggressive or irritable or um, depressed or sad or whatever, um, complaining or whatever the case may be, that is a warning signal. That's the outpouring of this. So if it's toxic, so you can use that um, and it, 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 eating disorders and, you know, all of that stuff. None of those are diseases. They're all basically warning signals that you need to be a thought detector to find the process. And that's where the neurocycle fits in. You are an absolute genius, my friend. Absolute <laughs> genius. You that's sweet. Brilliant. I, I feel like I could just literally spend all day talking to you. I would love to be a protege and just study you. It's just fascinating. Oh, that's very sweet. Well, you've got a very good understanding. You, you know, so it's, it's, you've got a very good understanding. So we can go a little deeper, which is great. Well, I appreciate that. And again, it's, I have become obsessed with the mind just because I'm so good, powerful, changing yeah. approach to my thoughts how amazing it's been at transforming the individual that I am today compared to yeah. a very traumatic little girl that was reacting to the world as a victim for, gosh, the first 40 something years of my life, you know? And so with wow. that I've done over the last three years with really focusing on retraining the brain to be more supportive of how I want to show up and feel and exist in this human experience that I'm having has just been yeah. so impactful that I, I want all of humans to understand this so that they can truly unlock their true potential. Because most yeah. people get so trapped into believing that they are their thoughts and they don't know how to disconnect from the messy mind and uh, yeah. go of that. So. Can you kind of um, talk to us about what happens when we don't use our mind properly and how we can redirect that into a more supportive place? Absolutely. So what, what you said is very relevant is people feel that they are their thoughts. But, you know, you are these. It's okay to feel that you're these. 
But if you feel that you're these, it's very demoralizing and people lose hope. And what we're not being trained in this world much at all, there's very few of us that are doing it. I've been fighting this now for 38 years, trying to teach us in schools and corporates, et cetera. And I mean, we, we, it's starting to get out there and there's people like yourself and a few of us out there that are trying to get the correct message of mind out. Not It's not just meditation. It's something way beyond that. It's an all-encompassing concept um, is that you, these, you can control these. So as soon as you're aware of them they weaken their power over you and that's the message that needs to really come through and that's what i try and do with all my work and that's this whole book it is you can control your thoughts so you've got to decide you know that thought is toxic if you if you've got a thought that's destroying you that's toxic that's affecting how you function as a person that's affecting your relationships that's the thought that you can actually change because anything can be changed because the mind is changeable and so is the brain the brain is neuroplastic we're not designed as a constant you use that word earlier on be designed as a very flexible system so the mind brain system is constantly flexible it constantly changes so even though we have fixed memories and experiences all throughout our life um, we can change how those play out into our future there is a lot of memory work saying that um, every single memory that comes back up is inaccurate and what they're really saying is that essentially if you experience something as a two-year-old child and you re-experience five-year-old or ten-year-old and you're now re-experiencing it as a 40-year-old or something you obviously have a different perspective on life because you're looking at it through the eyes of a 40-year-old versus the eyes of a 10-year-old, but it's still, this, the, the, whatever, still happened. And you're now re-experiencing it through. So there's that concept of how we experience it through each phase of our life as we gain more and more experience. So the thing is that the most important thing is to understand that we actually can change our thoughts, that thoughts are malleable. So if I, for example, and I heard this, I actually read this example and I was reading, a, I don't, I very seldom, I used to read a lot of novels and I don't read enough because I get tickled up in science. So I decided to start doing it because it's the best way to stimulate creativity. So I was reading a novel and they said something in that novel that was an excellent example of, um, of, of this. And I'm going to use that example. If I gave you a violin, I don't know if you, can you play the violin? Do you know? Okay. So if I gave you a violin, and I said to you, with lessons, you can go to lessons five days a week or seven days a week or whatever, with a brilliant teacher, you would be able to learn to play the violin really well. You may even have an additional natural talent in you that'll put you on another level. Or you may just be a really good player, but you may be, I don't know, because I don't know you, nor do you even know because you haven't played. But the point is that you could do it. You could get to a level of expertise with sufficient training. I used to be a very good tennis player. I was even selected as a youngster for Wimbledon, but didn't do that because I didn't want to spend my whole life playing tennis. I chose to not do that. Now, at the moment, I don't play tennis at all well because I haven't played for years, but I do know that if I went back and got retrained and spent the time probably few hours every week, I would re regain a lot, maybe not the level of skill that I had at that age, but I would get a level of skill that I could play a pretty good game. But there's a lot of effort involved. The point is that's what your mind is like. Your mind is always with you and your mind is always developing as a skill. So either you're developing the messy mind skill or you're developing the wise mind skill and you're using the messy mind in the way that it's designed to be used, which is experimental. So therefore, when you have depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation, trepidation, you name it, whatever, um, complaining, irritation, 
it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean you have a neurobiological brain disease. It doesn't mean that you're mentally ill, which is the message of today. It's totally unscientific and totally incorrect. It's created tremendous damage. And I give the statistics and science of that in the book. I actually give these two chapters where I address this and give you the statistics. Those are just warning signals that there's an underlying issue. And it's hard and you do need support and therapies. This doesn't replace, I'm not saying this doesn't replace therapy. I'm all for therapy. This is but you go to therapy once or twice a week or coaching, or whatever, but you're living with yourself 24-7. How do you live with yourself 24-7? So you need to understand the messy mind, the wise mind, so that you can actually man not manipulate. Well, you kind of are manipulating, but in a good sense that you can self-regulate. I, I use the word self-regulate, mind management. So we need to become mind managers. And that's what you'll see throughout the book is I talk about the fact that we we can mind manage, that you it's a process of mind management through self-regulation. And we perfectly designed for that because it's one of the things I studied was if we are mind managers, can we do it? I mean, is it possible to self-regulate our conscious mind? You know, is it possible to change? I know it's possible to change, but how do you do it and all that kind of stuff? So that's essentially the core of the work that I've been doing on a therapeutic level and then applying it on every other level. I've worked in government. I've worked in education. I've worked in corporate. I've worked in medical. I've trained doctors. I've trained thousands of doctors. I've trained hundreds of thousands of students and now reach millions through the platform just because I want every human like yourself to understand this is what mind is. This is how it works so that they can then benefit from, you know, people like you who have expertise in specific areas, you know, and, but you've got to, to, for people to learn from you, they have to have their mind right. So it's literally, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is lay the platform so that people can understand mind so that they can then understand all this great work that's out there and not just hear it and put it in the, you know, another notch on their belt, but actually apply it in their life. So that's kind of what mind management essentially is in a nutshell. So I don't know, do you want me to elaborate more on that or? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm getting so emotional listening to you talk. You, you are articulating just so much hope and inspiration for humanity and our ability to thank you these very toxic victim mindsets that we, you know, that so many are suffering with. And I feel like, you know, you have an answer here. To, to something huge and every individual needs to run out and grab this book and get their hands on this book so they can start implementing this information Thank you. in their life. I know for myself, when I chose to start doing the mind work, yeah. you know, it wasn't a feeling. It wasn't a feeling that overcame me. It was literally a choice. I had to choose to so let good. go of all of the conditioned and programmed thoughts that I had been so attached to that were supporting my emotional pain body and my physical body. Yeah. I had to choose that this was serving a purpose, but wasn't serving the purpose that was in alignment with how I wanted to feel. And it was exactly. So when I chose to make that decision, I realized just like anything else, I was going to have to commit time to training just as you were speaking to this example of being the tennis player or the violinist. We have to literally choose to set aside exactly so that we can consistently put effort into retraining that part of the brain to support how we want to feel and most people they have the thought and then it's very uncomfortable so they give up and they don't yeah and they don't revisit and i know for myself that my transformation was rather quick 
compared to the last 45 years that I've been living, you know, by the yeah. last three years of really applying this information on a consistent daily basis, the momentum that developed was immense. Exactly. I was very shocked at how quickly I was able to let go, able to transition a lot of these toxic behaviors into new supportive behaviors and new positive self-talk or being in a, having the ability to be in a more neutral state instead of so biased and negative towards myself. So realistically, so, good. so realistically, what would you, what would you say to the listeners, the audience in terms of if they truly want to let go of all of the pain and suffering from their messy mind, what are they going to have to commit to either daily or weekly? What does that kind of work look like? Such a good question. And, and I love that. And I love the example that you gave of your own life as well, because it really is. And this is a, it's a lifestyle. You know, you say that you over three years, but what I, I know that you probably said this on your podcast many times, but this means that this is just the beginning. You're not going to stop. It's not like it's done and now you're there. It's a lifestyle. Your your mind never stops. Your mind is always with you. You can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you can't even go three seconds without your mind working. So your mind is always, and if you don't manage it, it goes into messiness and then it becomes reactive. And then you get into that burnout stage. And then it just feels like, and then you get the message of today. Oh, I'm burnt out. I'm, uh, I've got depression. I've got anxiety. As, as though it's an it, but they're not it's. They are warning signals. They, you know, these. If I had ten people in front of me now with so-called clinical depression, they would. If I had to talk to each person, they don't. None of them have an it. They don't have something like diabetes or cancer or chemical imbalance in the brain. That's not even science. What they have is a story. Each of them has a narrative, and that narrative is very far-reaching. And that narrative needs thought detective work. So, in terms of what it requires, is if you're feeling depressed today, or anxious today, or burnt out, or all of the above, or whatever, you don't have a neurobiological brain disease. You don't have a mental illness. There isn't something wrong with your brain what what there is is that you are have you have a warning signal it's a messenger telling you that you need to do the work of learning to play the violin of learning to become the tennis player which is doing the work so the time involved and this is what i've spent a lot of years researching is at least 15 to 45 minutes a day that you sit down and it's for a fixed amount of time and the cycle is 63 days so most of the time people have thought there was a myth that started in the 60s about the fact that it takes 21 days to build a habit. It's a complete myth. It's not science at all. Things do happen in 21 days. And I show that with my research. And I actually show you that in the book, in the first half of the book, that if you work consistently every day for 15 to 45 minutes um, using the five steps of the neurocycle. So I'll give you the five-step system, which is basically how you get your mind under control, capture those thoughts, become aware. We can do a quick analysis of that in a moment. But you do that every day. For the food by day 21, you would have been a really good thought detective. So you're being a thought detective for 15 to 45 minutes each day using the five steps. So what do you do as a thought detective? You do the neurocycle. What is the neurocycle? It's five steps. And in doing the neurocycle, you're going from the warning signal of the depression, the anxiety, the eating disorder, the the addiction to exercise, whatever it is, that uh, the, the disruption in your relationship, the constant um, worry or whatever it is. And, and there's never one thing. It's going to be a lot of things. So you start with, you make a priority list and you start with the one that's most disruptive to your life. And when that's finished, you do the next one. And when that's finished, so then you're going to work for the 15 to 45 minutes each day, deconstructing this, embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing. By day 21, you would have converted it into this. 
you would it doesn't mean the story's gone away and if you look deeply into this tree i've done this on purpose you'll see that there's light and dark the dark is the new way that you're going to your life's going to play out the light is the story that happened but you now control it that's why it's become light it's no longer something controlling you in the dark you now know what happened and you deciding how to make plan your future, which is the dark. But after 21 days, you get what we call gamma peaks. So this means that this has happened. The neuroplasticity has happened. But then a very interesting thing happens. If you don't continue practicing using this new thought, then it's going to be there, but it's going to get lost in the Remember the unconscious forest? There's trillions of trees and only the ones that have the most energy. They're the biggest, vibrant Trees blowing in the wind, those get your attention. Those get the attention to move through the subconscious into the conscious. The little ones that haven't had enough attention just get blown over. So if you don't um, give this thing enough energy, it won't become one of those trees that then impacts behavior change because habit means behavior changes, okay? So which is what you've experienced in your life, that your behaviors change, how you see yourself, get that freedom from that worry, that freedom from seeing yourself in a certain way. So you need to practice for at least another 42 days. So it takes at least 63 days. So what we see is that you get a gamma peak in the brain. It's like a, if you think of a graph, it takes 21 days to get the gamma peak, which means I've caught this, reconceptualized it, deconstructed and built it into this, but it's tiny. So now to get automatization, which means habit formation, which means behavior change, I need to still work on this for another at least 42 days, another six weeks. The first 21 days, you're working for 15 to 45 minutes. The second 60, second 42 days, you're only working for about a minute a day. You're practicing the fifth step. So you're just practicing this. You Like you're literally sitting there and doing your violin practice or you're doing your you're on the court doing some ball work for tennis or whatever. So you're spending, you know, it's consistent daily little practice, but it's only about a minute or two. You can spend longer, but it's a minimum of a minute. And if you can get your seven minutes a day, that, that's a very important number in, in neuroscience. Um, that That's fantastic. So you just, and I tell you exactly how, in the second half of the book, I tell you how to do the five steps, exactly how to do these 63 days, why the 63 days. And that's the cycle. At the end of 63 days, this thing has grown and now, now it can go into through the subconscious. It has enough energy into the consciousness. So when you're in that situation, you get triggered to maybe complain or feel depressed or feel out of control. This is now triggered. You remember how you were, but now you act on the dark green leaves. Prior to that, you won't. You'll just remember you've done the work and you'll be frustrated and feel stuck. So I did the work. I know I can. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. So to get to the I can do it, you have to do the extra 42 days. And even then you might find, oh gosh, I've only revealed a quarter of the route. I need to go and do another four cycles before I really get this thing under control. And then you do those four and you see, and so you go and you just keep doing it. There's no cookie cutter, but it's it, what is nice about it is that you know it's these cycles of 63 days. And in the first 21, this happens in the second 42. I've done the science and I've developed a system. And into that, you can put whatever you want. You'll see in the, in the system, I have an app as well called the NeuroCycle app, which we're constantly developing and adding new stuff into it. But I put I help you prepare your brain, which would be the normal breathing and meditation and all that kind of stuff. So I do, but I do very simple little exercises. And then there's also decompression exercises and there's whatever. And you'll see a couple of CBT type exercises coming in at step five and that kind of thing. So you can do whatever you want to do a lot of therapists around the world or in clinics now putting their patients on this and when they come to therapy they can use it as a system so you're doing the therapy but you're talking through in this order because it's the order of the five steps that helps you get the messy mind listening to the, the you know the 
pilot us into the co-pilot and getting that deep level of introspection, which then allows the two sides of the brain to work together in a coherent way. And that's a that's a quick walkthrough, but it's in detail in the book. Unbelievable. I am so, so incredibly honored to have you as a guest to share your expertise. Thank you. The last 38 years of hard work and dedication to understanding the mind and how we can retrain our brain to start living our best lives. Thank you. I know I have a very highly motivated audience who wants to live their best life. I encourage everyone to run out, pick up a copy of Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. This is available at all of the major book outlets. You can also find it available at Amazon by Dr. Caroline Leaf. I know that every individual out there will benefit from this book. So thank you so much for all of your hard work and dedication. Um, You really have provided an immense amount of hope and inspiration for humanity for me today. I believe that, you know, we are at a paradigm shift where people are recognizing that what we've been doing for thousands of years is no longer working. And we have so much potential if we could choose to tap into that, that mind and really Absolutely. to our benefit. I, I, this has really been a true honor. So thank you, thank so you. Much, Dr. Lee for sharing your expertise with us today. I, um, I could pick your brain forever. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you and your questions have been amazing. And it's, it is, it's a very important subject. And I thank you that you've seen that importance and for what you do. Thank you very much. Where can the audience find you? I know everyone is going to want to be following your work and staying um, staying up to date with everything that is unfolding in your world. So how can they find you? Thank you. Well, they can get my webpage is drleaf.com and my all my social media handles, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, are Dr. Caroline Leaf. And we post every day. I'm always teaching and I'm always doing lives like everyone. So there's a lot of information. Then I have a podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, the same title as the book. And I have lots of other books as well, but this is the most recent. So it's a good place to start. I love it. Well, we will make sure that we link all of that in the show notes. So it makes it easy for everyone to access. Again, thank you so much for your pleasure. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.